she says. Okay, no cops. But what are we going to do? The boy glances up at the plastic garbage bags that line the steel mesh trash receptacles along the empty stretch of dirt. He turns slowly, as if in a dream, to the long country road beyond it. Town is a good four miles away to the north. A hundred yards down the road and to the west, the outline of the old covered bridge rises into the muggy air. The river that runs beneath it, he knows, is as slow and dozy as the August afternoon itself. I have an idea, he says. Chapter 1, December 21st, Present Day, 6.18 p.m. Stuck in week-before-Christmas traffic north of Boston, Sue Young is scanning the radio dial, searching for a weather report, when a song comes on from the summer of 1983. Duran Duran doing Rio, and oh boy, does it take her back. Without wanting to, she thinks of Philip, something he had said to her once. The past is never done with us in any substantial way. The most cursory examination reveals its bloody fingerprints on every surface of our lives. It's Philip, in a nutshell. An appetizer of eloquent wisdom with a nice fluffy side salad of pomposity. In the beginning, back when they were kids, she had only heard the wisdom. Later, after they got married, only the pomposity. Now that he's gone, Sue hears a dollop of both, but mainly she just hears him, his voice in her head, and despite everything he has done to her, she even misses it from time to time. The song on the radio keeps playing. Sue realizes she's stiffened instinctively against the nice leather upholstery that Philip paid extra to have installed in the expedition not enjoying the crawling prickle of nostalgia, at the same time peripherally aware that traffic is beginning to slide forward in front of her. She starts punching presets on the radio dial as she gooses the gas pedal, picking up speed in little doses, and realizes that the Saturn in front of her has stopped suddenly. She slams on the brakes, the expedition jerking to a halt just six inches from the Saturn's back bumper, close enough to see the driver's aggrieved expression in the side-view mirror. Sue exhales, thinking that she just used up all her luck for the rest of the night. It is 6.20 and almost totally dark. Boston is still right there in her rear view, its stumpy conglomeration of mid-rises too close to even be called a skyline. Around her, three lanes of commuter traffic slink forward promisingly and then congeal again. To her right, the fax machine that Philip installed in the expedition gives two cheerful chirps and starts spitting out a flurry of pages. Sue flips on the dome light and glances at the cover sheet. It's a draft of the loan agreement for her to look over for tomorrow morning's meeting with Bay State, the final phase of the Flaherty deal. Sean Flaherty is an orthodontist, a friend of Philip's from back in Philip's bachelor days when Sean and Philip chased cocktail waitresses from here to Cape Cod and jetted off to Club Med together to drive jet skis and spend their money. Sue actually doesn't mind Sean all that much. 
He can be a bit overbearing at times, but ever since Philip left her, Sean's become more subdued, almost shy around her, as if embarrassed by his old friend's behavior. Sean has always wanted to open a little bar downtown, in a narrow old space on 151 Exeter Street that he's been lusting after for at least a decade. For years, Philip promised Sean he'd get him 151 Exeter, which has been tied up in probate for ages since the previous owner died intestate and the offspring squabbled over the inheritance. But in the end, the promise to get Sean his bar turned out to be just another broken vow Philip left in his wake when he abandoned Sue 18 months ago. In the end, it was Sue herself who closed the deal for Sean just today. Upon hearing the news, Sean dropped by the office ecstatic with two freshly steamed